All right. How are you doing, Chris? I am doing good. I am in a little bit of a holding pattern waiting for the birth of my child, which is still two months away. I just feel like I can't approach anything ambitious with the most ambitious task in my life looming ahead of me. Well, I hope it is two months away, having gone through me it, becoming too. now. <laughs> yeah, have we, have we, that. yeah, I was going to say, have we beaten you? Because Michelle's been counting off some of her friends who she's now like been more pregnant than them. What are you, are you 33 weeks? Yeah, we must, uh, yeah. When you hit 33 weeks, weeks, you're better than us. Oh. Welcome, folks, to the Affix Podcast. We're back somehow. I don't, I don't know how, but we're we're still occasionally doing episodes. Uh, it's the ongoing conversation between Chris and Brian. We talk about philosophy and economics and business and I don't know, just random stuff that's fun. Heavy on the philosophy this week. I think it would be fair to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably pretty heavy on the philosophy. Fun though. It's going to be fun philosophy. Hopefully, it's fun philosophy. Yeah, nice. I've held myself back from making that terrible portmanteau. I'm getting I'm getting my practice in. Gotta be a dad. Gotta practice my dad jokes. Yep. Very nice. Okay. So normally, you know, we start the episode by talking about whatever we talked about in previous episodes. I can't remember any thoughts of like other episodes. I feel like in the intervening time I've had thoughts. We talked about basically women and discrimination against women and women in mm. the workforce and leaders and blah blah blah. I don't know. Which I think we can acknowledge as a nerve wracking conversation to have as two fairly affluent gentlemen. Yeah, like two white male millennials talking about gender or race. It's like, oh God, avoid that. Anyway, no one that I know has cancelled me, so hopefully we got through it okay-ish. Yet to be crucified. Yep. My wife listened to it and she's still bearing my child, so we got that going for us. Well, there you go. Back at my old work, they were doing like one of those seminars about, you know, equality and here's a study we did and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm going to go to that meeting and see what they present. And she looked at me and she was like, really? I do not see it as a problem here. You are wasting your time. Oh. And I was like, wow. So, there you go. That's an insight. See it as a problem within your department or within the business in general? I'm going to say she saw it as within the business in general, but she only really had visibility too my department slash maybe R&D through a couple of friends. Okay. That's good. I mean, that is very positive. If only everyone could say the same. I mean, that's, yeah, part of the problem, I suppose. But anyway, I'm happy in my privileged bubble where people are nice. Yeah, it's pretty good. So did you get any other feedback or just... No, just every time I got feedback, I I, I braced myself for sheer terror and everyone was like, "Mm, not as bad as it could have been, which like, (laughs) that'll do. (laughs) Very nice. Man, I wish I actually wrote down some of my shower thoughts that I had, but I can't remember any of it, so whatever. doesn't matter. I guess this is the difficulty between with the longer cadence. It's harder to remember what the hell happened last time. That's fine. That means we can just get straight into the good stuff. Yes. The good stuff this week is, well, do we want to start with the conversation in the Discord or do we want to go to the fun stuff? I think we do the conversation in the Discord. Fun stuff. We've got to keep people on tenterhooks. We've got to like, string them Brian, along. Brian, having fun. I've got to see what this is. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Just wait. Just you wait. All right. So we love the Discord. You can always find the link in the show notes, or I'm sure there'll be a link on affix.live or whatever our website is these days to get to the Discord. But we have lots of great fun chats there. We link a lot. Chris loves posting quotes and then not actually linking the article that he quotes until I'm I poke him. I'm getting a little bit better. 
I like the quotes. The quotes are often better than the article. I'm summarizing for you. I don't want to waste your time. <laughs> Fair enough. So, in there, we had a suggestion from Cam, the former guest slash number one listener, because he was the former guest and also is just a really good listener. Mm. I appreciate you listening, Cam. You're the only person that I feel confident will be listening. <laughs> I think everyone else has moved on. Yeah, but that's fine. No judgment from our No part. hard feelings. He linked a YouTube video giving a book review of a book called Die With Zero. And neither Chris nor I have read that book. And we don't intend to. We feel like we got enough from the review. And I listened to um, Aussie Firebug uh, interviewed the author as well. Oh, there you go. Okay. Chris has gone a little bit deeper into it. So there you go. I would say. I feel like most book reviews I engage with these days are through Slate Star Codex or Astral Codex 10 or whatever. And I feel like I get enough out of them to not want to read the book. So it was similar with this video. Yeah. Very good. I got the gist. Sure. Give us the gist. So the gist is people who are saving tend to oversave for their retirement. So they're going to end up saving and saving and saving and end up dying with a lot of money. And all that money essentially symbolizes time spent working that they could have had being free and doing what they really want to do with their life rather than working, right? Right. So if you aim to pace your life to die with zero, therefore you will have maximized your own well-being by actually doing stuff rather than just working out of fear that you're going to have zero and then struggle along and then die, I guess, would be yeah, the way I, I read a, it. That's a reasonable summary of his concerns. So there you go. Now you don't need to read the book either, dear listeners. Yeah, we might hash that a little bit better, but yeah, you definitely don't need to read the book. <laughs> Are you impressed with this thesis? I am very skeptical of this thesis, as you can imagine. I mean... There's, there's some interesting nuances that he brings in there, which I'm sure we'll get to. But just on a face value, died with zero. Obviously, the intrinsic thing is, what's the risk factor that you're going to end up with yeah, zero before you die? It just feels die? like a really difficult needle to thread. Yeah, exactly. It's like It's very easy to end with zero and the negative utility of being at zero. Yeah. Or if you live one day later and then you have negative and that's, that's no fun. It's a really unfun day. If we assume that like most experiences are judged on like the peak and the end, if you judge your life on the end, that's no good. You'll feel like your whole life was a waste. Oh, that's a nice... I had not considered that. So that's an argument out of Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, where you assess your experiences based on peak and end, like an average of the two. So if you have a really, really high peak and then ends at the peak... Ends at the crescendo, then you're like, wow, that was the best experience I ever had. That was just, yeah, amazing. Or alternatively, oh my God, that was so traumatic. This is awful, right? So or it's or like, that, yeah, yeah. Peak can be good or bad. It can be in peak positive or peak negative, yeah, for sure. And what they actually found was like, in terms of peak negative, for people recovering from a surgery or whatever, if they actually made the surgery go longer... So, therefore, the person actually had a slower, like a, a tailed off the negativeness toward the end. They kind of became numb to it more and more. By having that lower, I don't know how you term that, but like lower deviance from goodness or average or whatever. Yeah. When the people like assess the surgery after, they're like, oh, it actually wasn't that bad compared to people who they were like, we just fixed you right up and that's the end of the surgery. And they're like, oh, my God, I'm still in quite a bit of pain. 
Right. I don't remember it being surgery. I remember it being like putting your hand in boiling water or something. And like, uh, maybe it was ice water or something. Yeah, like that. it's putting your hand on ice water, and I was like, that's really painful. And then, like, if you rip it out, and they ask how bad was that, people are like it was really bad, like really, really bad, because you get the peak, and then you just take it out, and then the things over, and the end is the same. Whereas if you put it in the ice water, and then they gradually heat the water up, like you've you've in total gone through more suffering because you've gone through the peak. And you've gone through all this like slightly lesser suffering as the water warms up, but then you take your hand out and it's sort of normal. And you're like, I guess it wasn't that bad, you know, because the end of it, which is what sticks in your memory, eh, is like slightly tepider water. Yeah, exactly. There you so, go. Good job remembering the book that I haven't go. read for eight years or something like that. Well done, Chris. I don't think I've even read it. I think I skimmed some chapters. <laughs> it's just part of the zeitgeist now. Nice. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Yeah, no, it feels like exactly you're right. If you end with zero, you're you're ending with nothing. And it's like peak negative. Yeah, no, that's not how you want to remember your whole life. Yeah, and I mean, I will also say, like, as someone whose parents have gone broke, that's not something you want to burden your family with either. Also true. I want to, yeah, oh, this, this book seems very deliberately targeted at, like, the fire crowd, I guess. And I think that yeah. there's potentially a a tendency to take saving to a pathological level. If you look at the subreddits and the forums and the Facebooks, etc., like a lot of people get like super into fire and they're like earning six figures but eating beans and living with five people in a two-bedroom flat that they don't really like sort of thing. Yeah. And then they're like, but if I can manage this, then I can retire at 26 and then I can eat beans and live with five people in a two-bedroom flat for the rest of my life without ever leaving. I'll have no <laughs> excuse to go anywhere because I don't have a job. This guy's uh, like, maybe you have not thought this plan all, all the way through. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think I think there's a lot of messages now, like way more through the fire community, and it's like it's almost gotten back the other way. It's like this is not like the financial independence subreddit anymore. This is the get really, really rich and have fun being rich subreddit, which is like, you know, I can empathise, but it's not really financial independence anymore. Yeah, exactly. It all started back with the Mr. Lama post of you know build your life and then save for which it. Which is a good right. post. Which is Excellent a post that post. I will hope to link in the show notes. Oh, show notes. I forgot to mention this last time, and I didn't do it last time, so probably fine that I forgot to mention it, but people have rightly criticized me that, like, show notes is not where I go for my reading. Like, I go to blogs or I go to RSSs or I go to books when I'm reading. So, there is now an Affix substack, which I will put in the show notes. So, if you click that one time, then the substack will email you the show notes when the show comes out, and you can read them at your leisure like a normal person who reads substacks, which is wonderful. just me. And you can put it on the Discord, too. And I'll put it on the Discord so then people have a chance to actually digest some of these show notes in a more, you know, go to where the people are. I, I will admit that it's my fault that no one reads our show notes because no one reads any show notes and I was a fool for putting so much effort into them. But I do think that we talk about some interesting things and some people may want to read them. Now you can put them in your RSS reader, you can put them in your email, you can put them in a Substack app. Wherever you read long-form articles, that's where we live now. Nice, nice one. So to go back to the conversation about, you know, build the life you want, then save for it, People go through this like hardcore moment of in their pursuing financial independence, they save really, really hard and just eat rice and beans or whatever. Do you think like people that just grow out of that anyway? So what this book is really targeted at is like the 18 months where someone goes through that before they figure out this isn't sustainable and just does something else. Yeah, I don't think anyone gets stuck in that. I mean, obviously a few people reach out for help on the subreddits that they feel like they get stuck. I do think that it makes some habits that once you've been frugal for long enough, it's hard then to spend money, uh, which I'm finding somewhat myself, although I'm much spendier than I was two years ago. 
that you just get into the the habit of like a taxi to the airport is never worth it. I will bum a lift or I'll walk or something. And it's like maybe a taxi to the airport is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like it, it just, it rings to me of the same problem that Brian Kaplan has with higher education, which is what's the actual opportunity cost here? Like if you went out and learned a trade or learned on the job instead, you know, you, you're still going to end up at the same point, right? You just Probably. went to a university instead of here. And now you're just reading a book instead of just figuring it out. Six sure. months I later, on your people own back. Probably figure it out on their own. Yeah, I think that, that's a pretty fair criticism of the book. It's like it's solving a problem that is pretty much self-solving. I don't think there's a lot of people who get to ninety and be like, "Oh, if only I had this advice when I was younger, then I would, <laughs> you know, have eaten beans and like brown rice, which is fancier, <laughs> rather than sitting on my fifteen million dollar pile of money that I don't know how to spend." I'd cut up some coriander leaves to have with that. I don't think anyone actually gets to that stage. You know, I do think people. I don't know. How long do you think this stage lasts? Because I do think it's plausible that like you're only young once kind of thing and traveling with friends is something that you can only do when you're young and there are experiences that you can't get back that if you're super duper focused on saving and, you know, uh, well, compounding lasts for the rest of your life so the earlier you get in, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so I'm just not going to take this holiday to Bali with all my friends because I'm going to save the $5,000 that it would cost. That That's like that's something you can never get back. Yeah. I guess, like, I think... In your 20s, yeah, you could lose maybe one to two years with that attitude. I could see that happening. But at the same time, I don't know. I feel like I went through that attitude, you went through that attitude, and we still traveled. Like, I've yeah, been to I mean, I have boatload of places. <laughs> absolutely. And I don't know whether that makes us exceptions or not, but I mean, I prioritize travel quite highly, and my late wife prioritized travel very highly, which influenced me kind of thing and if i look back do i regret saving really hard and i saved like really hard like i earned an okay wage but nothing phenomenal kind of thing and i managed to save 70 percent of it in one yep. year because that was the minister money mustache goal kind of thing and like honestly what that forced me to do was be more creative without i had fun so i would have board games nights and i would make everyone cook kind of thing and that would cost me 20 bucks because i would provide the main meal and then everyone would bring snacks kind of thing and that was just like an awesome way to have fun and have friends uh yeah so I don't know, it sort of forced me to be a social leader, I guess, if there was another social group that I wanted to be part of. And they're like, no, we go to the pub. We drop $200 at the pub. That's what we do. That's how we be friends. And like, I would have missed out on that and not had those friends, but it forced me to be more creative in how I wanted to spend my time. And like, I had a ball. I loved my 20s. And this was in a country town as well. Like, yeah. it's not like you're in a big city and there's whole multitudes of different social circles you could go to and go to like a board game store or whatever regular group that's available this was just in a country town you set that up and we all had great time yep i did have to forge it myself to a certain extent but i definitely yeah in no way do i regret regret that uh that yep i had an enormous amount of fun in my 20s i'm not really sure what i would have done spending a lot more money probably would have had fancier cars i already felt like my house was pretty fancy country houses are real cheap yeah probably just would have had a sadder liver i guess or something like that sadder liver yeah might have been a bigger drinker might have eaten out a lot more like never would I have had takeaway just on my own. Although I still almost never do that. I don't. I don't like the idea of just getting takeaway because I'm feeling lazy. I like the idea of getting HelloFresh because I'm feeling lazy. This podcast <laughs> sponsored by HelloFresh. Contact Chris for a free box. <laughs> Which Chris we will never tell you. But <laughs> um, yeah, what was I thinking there? No, like in general, like traveling around. Like I went to northern Thailand with friends and cruised around and got burns on my leg and stuff like that on a scooter and had lots Good of tough. silly fun. Yep. Like, Classic. 
classic Thailand scooter experience. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. Honestly, like the amount of money it would have cost me to go to Thailand, it would have cost other friends to go out for like three weeks, just going out on the town and have, going to the yeah. pub or whatever and going to nightclubs. It's like, if you think you're wasting your 20s because you're not doing that, I feel like just reflect on which parts you really want. Like it's a buffet, pick and choose. Yep, it's my classic, you know, one of my classic lines is, I can afford anything I want, I just can't afford everything I want, right? Yeah, yeah, perfect. On the, on the budget I've set myself, like I can buy any any one thing that I want, I just actually have to prioritize and choose what that one thing is. I can't just buy everything with no thought. Yep. So one of the other points that gets raised in the review, and I'm sure he talked about it with Aussie Firebug, was investing in memories, basically. Mm, yes, and this is, I think, the core of where we wanted to the discussion to branch off, if we get that far. Yeah, yeah. So we haven't branched off at all so far. <laughs> Straight on target, just like a normal, a normal Apex podcast. One hundred percent. So essentially, like the argument is, your memories stay with you for your life. So if you are spending on good experiences or whatever earlier in your life, or the, the earlier you have those experiences, the more you get to relive them in your idle time, I suppose, or while you're going and sleep at night or that kind of thing, or have the opportunity at the pub to go tell your friends this crazy story of what happened in Thailand when you burnt your leg on the scooter and yeah, there was a big snake show or whatever. Like, I can see the argument for that, but at the same time, I don't know, maybe... <laughs> Maybe I just optimized my 20s quite well, but I feel like I got enough out of doing that like with a big overseas holiday once a year and then just traveling around Australia and seeing friends and doing stuff here. Yeah. I, I honestly, like, like they talked about how important that was on the Aussie Firebug podcast as well. And I'm like, that's not that important to me. Like, don't get me wrong. I love having good memories. And I would have to say I'm in an unusual spot because I've got something of a break in my life where I don't like to remember. But um when I go to the pub, I talk about what I did in the last week. I'm not like reminiscing about the time I went to Thailand 10 years ago. That's a fair point. I don't, I don't know. Are you? Like Aussie Firebug seems to think that like this is the most important thing and those memories he can never get back and he's so glad he's got them and I talk about them all the time. I'm like, I mean, I had some great holidays and every now and then I'll reminisce about them but even like with the people I did them with, I'm like, well, they were there so they don't need to talk about it and with new people, I'm like, well, they weren't there so why do they care about my holiday <laughs> memories? Uh, I find it comes up. I'm not always bringing it up or whatever. I'm like... Yeah. anyone who knows me is knows that I'm not the kind of person to bring just about anything up. No, it's true. <laughs> but when someone's talking about America, now I can relate to their story about and like do the back and forth about being in America or that kind of thing, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I do like having a few of those yeah, touch points to chat to people about with, I suppose. Yeah, I guess the flaw that I have that I envy other people is I can bounce back, right? I can come back with my own anecdote, but I don't know how to like just open up the conversation and question someone so they bring out those kind of uh, crazy yeah. stories. Yeah. I don't know. That is probably their talent. I'm not sure whether I have it. I like to just talk over the top of people. Yeah. It's more fun for me. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a thing that exists, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. It's a talent. Anyway, we can't be good at everything, I suppose. No, that's for sure. So, yeah, I feel like if you are prioritizing just accruing all those experiences at whatever cost because you'll always catch it up later. You're still not just thinking about the benefits of compounding financial returns? Yeah, i got to say there's a lot of perks to being rich with a big asset back behind you. Like, it, it takes away a lot of worries in life sort of thing and gives you a lot more options with what you want to do. 
takes away a lot of your personal worries and makes you alleviates a lot of personal guilt for what you may be putting on other people as well if you didn't have that right like i don't know yeah yeah yeah. i mean that's something you're obviously living through right yeah um it is i have to admit not something that i can particularly relate to uh all my family is fairly well off my dad's parents maybe not super great but they're not going to leave a hole yeah so what else did you get from the podcast chris because i didn't get to it Partake well, the worst thing, and I tried to do a bit of research on this, but like, there's the the famous four percent rule is a big thing in the fire community, right? Once you've got what have twenty four times your earnings in savings, then that's the point where you can retire. That's the number is the four percent. Yep. And the guy's like, I don't know, I haven't done the research, but you can buy these things called annuities, and annuities be way better than that. So why don't you just retire and buy an annuity? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> I don't feel like this is a well-researched book. That was honestly when I started like wanting oh to push back against him on many things because annuities, like, they're just bad investments usually. The problem with them is that they get self-selected by people who know that they're going to live a long time. So they have to assume that you're going to live to your 90s because the kind of people who buy an annuity is the kind of person who's like, well, my mum lived till she was 90 and her mum lived till she was 90 and <laughs> her mum lived till she was 100. And that was during the Great Depression. So I know I'm getting my value out of this. So... Yeah, the idea that, you know, as a 35-year-old or whatever, I could buy an annuity that's like, oh, obviously going to pay way better than 4%. You think you're good at investing in stocks, but like these people are professionals and they've obviously got it worked out way better than you, you fools. What are you doing? It's like, I haven't really looked into it, but they must, right? <laughs> like, did you look into anything for this book then, if that's a key point? So, yeah. But that was my one bugbear that I had to get off my chest in, in this particular conversation. But I think, like, I think... The point of the kickoff of this conversation is like prioritizing things versus experiences. And like, I actually want to talk more about tangible things rather than just a capital asset base that's very ephemeral because it sits in ETF somewhere and just makes you feel good when you look at a spreadsheet each month. Because we're really good at building things. I want to take it back to Alex Tuberak, right? And he's the one who's like, buy things, don't buy experiences. We're really good at making things and we're like equally as good as everything is making experience because it still takes one person, to, you know, yep. what is it? It still takes four people to play a four person Sonata. Yeah. Whereas we can make you know, phenomenal iPads and whatever with the same difficulty as we could make the first friggin' iPad. And it's much better now. The Baumol effect or cost disease. Oh. Yep. Cost disease. So you're, you're a man. What, what, do you, what are your luxuries? Do you spend on things? Do you spend on experiences? Where does that money go? Well, in the last year, I've spent it on things being this crazy powerful PC to do Diablo speedruns. Nice, nice. How crazy powerful is your PC, Brian? It's a 3070 and... An i7 or i9, I think. Jeez, that's a crazy powerful PC. I didn't realize you went quite so well out. Yeah. <laughs> I vaguely remember you buying it, but I'm still in my mind you're using the old Dell Optiplex secondhand or something. <laughs> I mean, that was so enjoyable for classic Diablo, but it just doesn't hold up for Resurrected, unfortunately. Right, right. Makes sense, makes sense. And it's got, it's one, this is the one with no RGB. Looks like it belongs on accountant's decks. Yeah, exactly. Say? Exactly that. <laughs> so that's pretty cool other than that like I don't know bought investments that's very boring yep this was actually a, a point boring. that I was going to raise and like I alluded to it on the discord so buy things not experiences but you can buy consumable things you know you can buy a fancier car or whatever but that's not like as good as buying a capital investment right if you can buy a factory <laughs> that's going to be well, much more effective Sure, it's going to be much more effective for building wealth kind of thing. But in terms of enjoyment, I think there's an argument to be had that you can buy things, not experiences there as well, right? Yeah, but if you can also enjoy owning a factory, like if if you can change your mindset to enjoy owning a factory, then that's pretty cool. I mean, I think some people do. I think some people get great joy about tuning and optimizing their factory and making the most money. Like, 
honestly feel like I could be one of them. I'm just too lazy to actually start a business. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I guess the, the trouble with like me saying I buy investments is I just buy an ETF now and that is not nearly as exciting as buying a factory, right? If I had a factory, Agreed. you can go Agreed. out there and tinker with it, you can do whatever. Like buying an ETF, it's just so boring. It, it is very boring. It is a very boring way to my mass capital. It's quite effective and I'm still going to keep doing it. But yeah, it would be, and this is, well, I mean, I have made investments into like angel funds for a business that I believe in, and you're going to plant a bunch of olives if I'm not mistaken, right? Maybe, maybe. I was talking uh, about it on the weekend. So that's that's a capital investment that's so much more real, and th- those opportunities are actually hard to find in modern capitalist society. Like we're so capitalist, but like the way that you capitalism is, you just buy ETFs on the share market kind of thing. Yeah, it's just we've just abstracted it so much to just get the the returns on diversification and. Everything else has just been eaten away. Yeah, I mean, the only free lunch in investing, I suppose. But yeah, it's sort of, I, I actually feel like I would really enjoy having a capital investment that was like an olive field that I could optimize and do things with and like plan out and think. But it's, I don't know, it's hard to get those opportunities because like well-run businesses just dwarf anything you can do on your own in most instances. Although maybe the, the olive farm would do fine and... I don't know, but starting up a new business is much harder because you're against all these well-run businesses. So you can get there, and the returns to that are enormous. But it feels like it comes with a higher chance of failure. Yeah, it's hard to get something that is like a one hundred thousand dollar thing that produces ten thousand dollars worth of socks every year with some effort by you, and if you tweak it real nicer, then it produces twelve thousand dollars worth of socks each year. It's just so easy being a salary earner, Compared. and it's very easy being a salary earner. Yep, it's very predictable. You can. Sometimes, you know, you work long days or whatever, but with a lot of salary jobs, you can just work eight hours and then completely switch off from the job and not worry about it out of hours. That's not something you get running a business. You live at the business because you are the business. You you are the business. You never get to go home. Yeah. Particularly in those early days when you don't have a whole lot of help. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that was a fun diversion. That was a fun diversion. But I will say, sorry, the point that I want to make is like you can spend enjoyment items on goods versus services as well, right? Yes. A service is gone as soon as you consume it. So once you go on that holiday, when you get home, it's gone forever. If you buy an iPad, then you can use that iPad for probably five years. Most iPads seem to last five years kind of thing and get enjoyment out of it every day during that period. But will you, after those five years, look back and think of the fun memories you had with that iPad? Probably not. No, probably quite the opposite. You'll probably just buy a new iPad and be annoyed at the irritating junky old slow one <laughs> although admittedly like you could still have all the fun of having conversations about your ipad like how i've gotten in so many conversations about iphone versus android or whatever well, like yeah it's a classic holy war i do like a good technology holy war yeah i don't know but yeah i agree like you can buy things and get the experience associated with the thing and keep the thing <laughs> and keep the thing and then you can do the experience again i don't know i don't know if that's better i think i think it can be i think one of the points that i wanted to make on this is that Things can be better than experiences if you get the right thing, like the right thing. Like I've spent quite a lot of money on my garden and I really appreciate my garden. I've spent quite a lot of money on this iPad and I actually really like playing with my iPad, although I admit that it's, you know, rolled up in the whole attention crisis and, you know, addictive games and whatever. And it's not necessarily purely positive, but whatever. I do get some enjoyment out of it and it's a thing that I can keep. What you never get from an experience is a thing that you don't want anymore where you bought... I don't know, you got like super enthusiastic about fish and you're not a person who budgets because you red die with zero and you're like, I'm going to enjoy these fish right now. And then you've got like this huge fish tank that takes up a whole corner of your room and you're like, 
all the fish died and now I don't care about replacing them. Yeah. But I've got this huge thing. Like I think experiences at worst can be zero because they're there over and you're like, well, that wasn't as enjoyable as I thought it would be or it wasn't enjoyable at all. I bought the wrong experience because I did it on a whim and it, you know, it turned out pretty average and it's done. But like when you buy a thing that's bad, you've then got this gigantic thing that you have to deal with and usually you'll feel some guilt about buying and you're like, well, I can't just get rid of it because then I'd be an idiot. So I'm just going to keep it and then it like hangs around for ages. Yeah, yeah. You've got the sunk cost. The sunk cost fallacy kind of thing. And like, you know, in a good world, you'd just throw it away. But then you feel super guilty. So you're just going to keep that fish tank with all the dead fish floating on the top of it and <laughs> gradually getting eaten by your cats. <laughs> and being like, I really should, I, you know, I really thought I was going to love that fish tank. I really should put more energy into it. Oh, but not this weekend. I'll do it later. Uh, and every time you look at your giant fish tank, it's just a monument to your own moron, your, your own lunacy. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> exactly like the flip side of the point I made earlier. Like you get the object and you get the experience with it or you get the experience and you get to keep the object, but now you've got this object and it's just it's taking up space. And taking up space is like, it's a big deal. Like people buy really big homes so they can keep all their stuff because they can't afford to get rid of it. And like, I'm probably one of them. And I don't think that that's good. I think that when the stuff weighs you down, you've made a mistake. I try to be relatively ruthless in throwing stuff away because I don't want to just keep old stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I still have a whole lot of comic books out and some storage crates out in the shed. I should get rid of those, but I don't know. It's risky. I'm trying to think, what should I get rid of at the moment? It's probably a little bit of electronics I could get rid of, although I've done a reasonable job in throwing that away. Gotten rid of all my triathlon stuff. Gotten rid of all my magic cards. Gotten rid of all my Warhammer stuff. Gotten rid of my office. That was hard to do. Beautiful, gigantic desk that was a gift kind of thing, and I got the biggest, fanciest office desk 10 years ago, but... Tried to sell it, no one wants it. Tried to give it away, no one wants it. Tried to drive it to the green shed where you can recycle old furniture. They're like, we don't do anything that's in pieces. We can't. So I threw that desk in the literal trash and I paid money for it. And it's, it broke my heart. It absolutely broke my heart. And now you'll never have to see it again. Well, I mean, that's good. Yep. But it's big. And like, people don't want big things. I think this reinforces my point. Yeah. Things that are big just lose value because you have to store them somewhere. Yeah. Unless it's a classic car. I mean, eventually they lose their value. I think cars lose their value partly because they're so big and irritating to store. Some classics are the exception to that, but yeah, it's hard to know. That's why I specified classic car. <laughs> I only get classic cars. It's hard to know ahead of time what they're going to be. And I think they have a, a shelf life. Mm. Eh, maybe not. I don't know. I feel like as people, like people want classic cars from their youth kind of thing. So once those people are no longer with us, they're not that cool anymore other than outside of a real niche. Like how popular are like 40s cars now? I don't know. 50s I see cars, some, maybe. Yeah, I reckon if. Yeah, but like, if you still saw like a '60s Mustang or something like that. Yeah, but I would expect an 80-year-old to be driving it. Usually, I'd still think it was cool. I mean, I still think it's kind of cool, but I wouldn't buy one, and I wouldn't. You know, I just feel like once the people who grew up with them being a status symbol no longer have use for them, either because they're dead or because they can't drive, uh, they just drop in value quite rapidly. Although I suppose by buying a car from your own youth, like at the point where it's worthless, it's like you don't care anymore. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Have we got any other thoughts? I don't know that I have any other thoughts. Nah, they're my big ones. Annuities aren't all they're cracked up to be and experiences can never go or are hard to go negative. I'm not going to say impossible, but if you pay for something that is purported to be a touristy holiday fun experience, it's hard for that to go negative. Whereas I think if you thoughtlessly buy things, it can very quickly go negative. Yeah, yeah. The negativity doesn't persist, I guess is the point. The negativity doesn't persist, yeah, yeah. And even with smaller things, even just like having a package from Amazon every day that you don't really open because you're just buying things on a whim because you're living for today and you're going to die with zero men. Like, 
I think that that is, it's going to overwhelm you. I think that's a net negative on your happiness. Whereas if you just went on to a random experience every day, I don't know, that could be a fun story kind of thing. Yeah. I guess, yeah, just thinking about like, what else would you do if you were like living, what would I imagine someone doing, doing that? So if they take the experience to heart that I need to go out and make experiences or blah, 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 or whatever, I would expect someone in the 20 to go to nightclubs, to go to pubs. Yep. Yep. Probably do some travel. I don't know, go to ski fields or something like that. Travel and ski fields, I can sort of see, but I, I still wouldn't recommend overdoing it. Yeah. Pubs and nightclubs, like, I don't even know if, maybe I'm show, showing my age there. I don't even know if they exist anymore. Do they uh, still, they still exist. Yeah, no, for sure, because the first COVID uh, case in all of Canberra was at a nightclub <laughs> uh, from the bouncer. Uh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, I feel like overplaying that would be too easy. Like, they nightclubs and stuff just eat your money. Yeah, they definitely do. Do you think that there is a different kind of person that gets a lot more out of a nightclub than you or I? Because I've, I, you know, I went to nightclub. I actually like quite like dance music. To this day, I like dance music, but I don't like dancing. Uh, and I don't like nightclubs. And I think I went to nightclubs because that's what cool young people did and I wanted to do it. And I'm like, I don't know, I love dance music, so obviously I must love this, but I don't think I ever enjoyed it. But I do think that there's just like a different personality type that gets a whole lot more out of nightclubs than you or I. I actually do enjoy it. And my best man at my wedding was one of those people who went out every weekend and like absolutely was a man of the night during his 20s so maybe i should talk to him about how how much he values it now looking back yeah does he regret spending that money you know if he had done it every other weekend would he feel like he's better off now yeah because i feel like i could pretty much cut every nightclub visit i've ever done and my life would be better marginally like i don't regret them but I, i just like it's not a thing for me I think I probably did it like once every six months other than when I'd go and hang out with him, in which case it'd be like around Christmas time and I'd go like two weekends right. in a row. Oh, my gosh. Um, and you'd enjoy it? And I feel like that was the perfect balance. Like it was always good fun to go out and have a late night. But that was about it. Fair enough. I'll keep musing on whether they're good or bad. But yeah, I do think that they can eat your money. Like they're deliberately designed to get you drunk and then take all your money. <laughs> yes, that is the point. Let's go to the next one. But in the middle, we have to do a coffee, coffee bedtime. bedtime. Brian's coughing, so I can sing without him. Ha! Well, unless he sings right now and then cleverly cuts it so it sounds like we're singing over the top of each other. All right, cool. I'll keep you guessing. What are we doing? What, what coffee bets well, are we doing? Are you taking my silly to... bet that the Australian dollar is not going to go under 60 cents by Christmas? Uh, I think I already accepted that bet. That can be a podcast bet if you want. No, I thought we were going to bet. Wait, we're about to launch into the absurd trolley problems, and we're going to bet who has the higher body count. Okay. Well, based on the counts last time, because we did this, we've both done this like about a month ago, and I know I got sixty-three and Chris got sixty-one. So past performance being indicative of future performance, I'd say I'm more likely. You are more likely to. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. The problem is you're now incentivized to kill everyone. (laughs) I don't care that much about coffee. Come on. No, I suppose not. I suppose not. All right. Oh, so what is it? Because it's whoever either gets the highest kill count or the lowest kill count gets the coffee, right? I can't just be like, yeah, you're going to get the higher one and I'm going to get the lower one. Who gets the coffee if it goes the other way? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point because it's like mm. symmetrical, right? It's quite symmetrical. I want the coffee in the upset because I'll be so upset. I'll need a coffee to console me. Okay. So if Chris kills everybody, he gets a coffee. Yep. If Chris doesn't kill more than me, we I get a coffee. So it's- 63 to 61. We should we should talk about who we're killing and that, that how it's not real people. I need you to introduce this better before we get even more cancelled than the last episode. <laughs> okay. So, we are doing absurd trolley problems. So, if anyone is familiar with, I don't know, nerd culture over the last 10 years, trolley problems have probably come up. 
No one's loved trolley problems, particularly related to self-driving cars. That was when they that was their that was their breakout moment. I reckon that was their time that they really hit the big time. So the trolley problem essentially is there's a train car or a tram or whatever careening down a track, and there's some people tied to the track on one. So there might be like five people on one track, and you have a lever that can switch the tracks the train is on. But the problem is the other tracks still have another person on them. So you can either kill one person by pulling the lever or not touch the lever and five people will get run over by the tram. So you can either do nothing and five people will die or you can do something and cause one person to die. And that is the classic trolley problem. Yeah, and it's an interesting one because it sort of gets to the heart of how humans think about ethics and blame and philosophy sort of thing in that like it isn't in no way is it your fault if those five people die like you didn't cut the brakes on the trolley sort of thing you just happen to be in the situation where you could have saved them by killing somewhere else and i don't know in my opinion a lot of ethics is built around blame and you're now you definitely killed that person like you threw a switch and killed a person who was tied to the train tracks who was not going to die yep the the explicit build in the trolley problem to just be like uh if someone goes of course i switched the tracks it's like one person or no, of course I wouldn't. It's like, okay, instead of there being one person on the other tracks that you switch and you don't have a switch, you're instead on a bridge next to a really fat man and you can push the fat man in front of the tram and that'll stop it before it hits the five people. Yeah. So in that case, you're pushing a person in front of a careening tram. You definitely killed death. them. You 100% killed them. And you save five lives, right? And like on the galactic ledger, five is a bigger number than one. But is that the right thing to do? Yeah. So we are working through a series of, I don't know, I think it's like 20 problems. Ooh, it's going to be a long podcast. And there are some crazy ones in here. So let's just go through them one at a time. All right. You got it loaded. My, the first one is the classic. Oh, no. A trolley is headed towards five people. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, killing one person. Instead, what do you do? I pull the lever. Yeah, me too. I feel like I would have to give back my effective altruism. I mean, maybe effective altruism would give my donations back to me if I didn't have at least some level of utilitarian ethics. Mm. 76% of people agree with me, 24% disagree. And if, there's been a lot of people do this. 1.5 million. There you go. Wow. That is a lot of people. Wow. Good job, Neil.fun. Oh, no, a trolley is heading towards five people. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, killing four people instead. What do you do? I mean, it's a fairly abstract mathematical situation, so I still kill the four people just because... It's hard, like, it's hard to say that if I'm willing to kill one, then I shouldn't be willing to kill four. See, I'm like more torn about it in that like the probability of there being someone especially deserving of living or something in either group is more muddled now. Like maybe right. there's like a, there's a higher chance of one of the groups being really having someone evil in it. So I don't know. Uh, in the end, I agree with you though. It's like just math. Just pull the lever. Are you, are you doing this to punish evildoers? I don't feel like I'm doing this to punish evildoers. I'm always doing everything to punish evildoers. <laughs> right, okay, fair enough. All right, I'll pull the lever. <laughs> Splat. 66%. 66% pulled that lever. Well, there you go. <laughs> okay, perfect follow-up. Oh, no, a trolley is heading towards five people. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, but then your life savings will be destroyed. What do you do? <sighs> That's tough. And my life savings are like quite considerable, if I do say so myself. <laughs> um, but like, honestly, and this is so hypocritical, right? Because I don't. Like, I could give my life savings to effective altruism right now and probably save. What do they reckon? It's about $2,000 a life. $5,000 a life, yeah. $5,000 a life. So I could definitely save more than five people. But if I was 
in this literal situation with stacks of physical cash that we're going to get run over by a flaming trolley, I guess, that destroys all the cash, um, I probably would pull the lever and destroy my life savings rather than watching five people die. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of similar to you. I feel like if I'm literally in that situation and I have to witness the people dying, that's some serious trauma. I'll just, I'll pay my life savings to avoid that. I'll pay my life savings to avoid that and to save the people, of course. But, I mean, um, yeah, I guess if I'm looking for people other than me. But I, I like I, I've talked about taking the giving pledge, and we give a reasonable amount of money now, but nowhere near ten percent of our salaries. So I can't even get that far, let alone my life savings that have taken me a decade to assemble. <laughs> so, yeah. like I say that I will do this, but like my actions speak that in when the situation becomes more abstracted from a literal trolley that I can literally see, I don't do it. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, I'm pulling the lever. Yeah, I pulled the lever. Oh no, splat! All life savings. Oh. 33% disagree. Wow. I mean, maybe they're just more like ideologically consistent in like, like, no, they could save five lives for their savings and they didn't. So they're like, in a literal case. Hmm. Interesting. Oh no, a trolley is heading towards five people. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, sacrificing yourself instead. Oh no, now I'm what on the track. What do you do? I do not pull that lever. I do not pull that lever. No, it's, it's not my fault. <laughs> I'm not killing myself. How do I even know those other five people are real? (laughs) Only 60%. I just, I don't don't know. I just find that hard to believe. I have a very strong self-preservation instinct. Me too. I mean, I have a whole parochial utilitarian ethics theory that favours, you know, myself and the people dearest to me. So five random strangers, it's going to take a lot more than that for me to sacrifice myself. Quite a lot more. Would you be the person running into Fukushima to shut the reactor down or something? No. No, probably me either. Don't have that fidelity to duty that we were talking about earlier. I feel I feel like you should. I feel like you've got the psyche that would have really relished that. I feel like you've talked about self-expression and improvement or whatever. I just feel like you were born for fidelity and duty <laughs> uh, and that the modern world is no good for your brain. Yeah, but no one's bestowed me with that f- duty to be fidelitous to... What do you mean? I mean, you've got a word family. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like, yeah, but that's not Fukushima, right? Like, mm. I guess if they were living in Fukushima, yeah, probably. That's what if probably your family was tied to those tracks? Do we do that one? I don't know. Let's keep going. All right, let's kick it on. Level five, priceless painting. Okay, so you can kill five people or destroy an no, no, original. You're not killing. I think. I think. It, I think it's very clear. Like, I think that that maybe is what gets lost in here. You are not killing four, five people. Five people will die as a result okay. of your inaction. You are not throwing the switch to kill those five people. Sorry for trying to. I actually think that's important. I think that's important to the thing. Like if that if the tracks were switched, it becomes a lot easier. That's fair, right? I think this this problem is moderately difficult. Five people versus five people will die if you do nothing. Versus the Mona Lisa will die if you throw the switch. I think if the Mona Lisa was going to die as a result of my inaction, or I would have to kill five people to save it. That's a no-brainer, right? Mona Lisa's just... Why was the Mona Lisa doing that? Some guard is going to get <laughs> super-fired and it's not... Um, whereas arranged this way, I do feel like I have to think slightly harder. Yeah. I don't. Screw the Mona Lisa. I'm pulling the lever. It's gone. Okay. I, I am pulling the lever. I think I agree with you in the end that the Mona Lisa is not as valuable as five lives. But I do think that the, the phrasing makes it slightly harder. That's fair. It's a good call out. I will keep sticking to the... Sticking to the script. All right. Thank you. Oh, the internet does not like the Mona Lisa. 83% of people agree with us. Good. 
Level 6. Oh no, a trolley is heading toward a rich man. The rich man offers you $500,000 to pull the lever, which would divert the trolley and kill someone else. What do you do? Hmm. This feels a lot more like murder than the other ones do. Interesting. Do you think? I kind of agree in that it feels like you are being paid to cause someone to die. Yep. But someone's going to die either way in this scenario. And why shouldn't I just get $500,000? And why shouldn't I, after all? <laughs> You've nailed exactly the meme I was going for. <laughs> um, I don't think I can pull that lever. Someone's killed that rich guy, right? He's not there by accident. <laughs> who's to say who's the other guy? Like, maybe the other guy's even richer. I don't know. Maybe the other, but, well, you're, you're going to set up a bidding war against a hurtling trolley. <laughs> Like, you flick the lever one way and the other guy's like, stop, stop, I'll give you $600,000. And Brian's like, yes. <laughs> I'm going to crack six figures before it hits one of you two. All right. So, there's clearly the, like, moral distaste that we've had instilled with us that when you get paid money, it, it brings along baggage to say, you're probably doing a bad thing if you're getting paid. So often, yeah. I think that's a reasonable intuition that a lot of people share. Mm. Mm. I think when I first did this, I did nothing. Okay. And I let the rich guy die just out of spite and be like, you, oh. you wanted to pay me. But I'm more tempted to take the money now and then just like donate it or keep it for myself out of my parochial interests. I don't know. Well, you should do half, right? You should keep half to incentivize you to kill more rich people, uh, <laughs> more poor people and take rich people's money. But you should donate half because that's a good thing to do and you could save more than one life. All right. You've convinced me. I'm pulling the lever. All right. I'm not pulling the lever. Coffee, here I come. Yeah, no, I know, I know. I was tempted to pull the lever for that reason alone. I, maybe I've overcompensated. Oh, dear. All 59% right. of people kill the richie. And sorry, 59% of people let the rich person die and through inaction allow harm to come to pass. 41% actively take the decision to murder someone for money. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next. Level seven, levels of sentience. Oh no, a trolley is heading toward five lobsters. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track running over a cat instead. What do you do? Now, I hate cats, but, you know. Right. I, my cat is sitting literally, I can touch her. There you go. Hey, kitty. I'm not killing the cat. Not when the lobsters again put themselves in this situation. <laughs> I am not responsible for the lobsters' deaths. I will not be responsible for a cat's death. So, you know what my genuine argument here is? Oh, please. I'm doing nothing because I can't be bothered but, pulling the lever. It's too much effort. <laughs> right, because this, because neither matter? Exactly. I don't care about these other creatures. Man, here was me thinking your argument was going to be like, no, I've done the maths. It's one cat per six and a half lobsters. <laughs> <laughs> Do nothing. Splat. Splat. 86% of people don't want to kill a cat. Hmm, I believe that. Oh, this one's an interesting one. Oh, no. A trolley is heading towards five people who are sleeping and won't feel pain. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, running over someone who was wide awake instead. What do you do? So this, I mean, this is an interesting one, but I think like, I think the one that gets skipped here is like in the trolley problem, what if the five people lying on the track are like, they're drunk. They just had a big night last night and they didn't care and they robbed some people and they broke into the train station and they got drunk and they're lying on the train tracks versus on the other track is the maintenance guy who's just doing his job and, you know, working to fix the train line. Then do you pull the lever to save five people in order to kill one? Yes. 
I'm, you still pull the lever. Yep. I'm sorry, Mr. Maintenance Man. We all have our duties and yours is to right. die. Right. I don't I feel like I really like I feel like that brings home the like when you don't pull the lever, it's not your fault kind of thing. It makes mm. it more salient to me and makes me not want to pull the lever. Like if you did a really stupid thing, it's not my responsibility to save you from it by killing someone else. I mean if the drunk guys picked a fight with me or something, maybe out of spite, but Right. Only spite. <laughs> Only spite could push me that far. Not not disgust. Exactly. I feel like disgust can push me that far. Well, there you go. There's a difference between us. Right. And in, in that instance, they would also be asleep kind of thing. Oh, there you go. Claire, I hope you're still listening. Uh, <laughs> we found yet another thing on which Brian and I disagree. I find this challenging, like actively putting it towards someone who is in terror. That, that'd that be hard. Yeah. But Don't at the same time... the maintenance man might be in terror? <laughs> It's fair. It's fair. But uh, I just imagine the maintenance man solemnly doing, like, being like, well, Scruffy's going to die as he lived. <laughs> man, this is the memes episode. But yeah, no, I, I feel like I, I still have to preference five lives over one. Yeah, I think I pull the lever here still, but I will be much more traumatized by this than the original one. The people of sleep won't even know that you saved them. That's fine. That's even more rewarding. Is it really? You're just going to slink off into the night and make them think that they killed that other person. <laughs> I feel like you're not taking this seriously, Brian. A trolley is heading towards five people who tied themselves to the track. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, killing oh, one person who accidentally tripped onto the track instead. What do you do? This is not that dissimilar to my scenario. That it's I was not that about dissimilar. Before. No, you're right. I am not doing anything. I am going to let those five people who did something monumentally stupid die. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm the same. If they actively want to die, and that is clearly a decision of theirs. Well, do you think they wanted to die here, or they're just playing silly buggers and they didn't expect a trial oh, to ever come? Is it like a Greenpeace protest or something, where they're yeah. like, no, no more carbon emissions or something like that? Trolleys run on carbon. Yeah. I'll bet those tracks are made out of carbon steel. Quite possibly. You know, I still the, do nothing. The sleepers I think are made of wood, which is carbon. Those people made the decision knowing that the, the consequences were possibly there, even if it was minute. Yeah, but you could save them. Yeah, but then I killed some guy who just accidentally tripped. Hmm. But you're okay with killing that guy if he's the janitor? <laughs> yes. <sighs> All right, okay. I just, I can't, I can't tell the difference between this scenario and the drunken scenario. They're almost analogous into my, like, they're almost the same thing in my mind. I feel like people who get drunk and do something stupid like fall asleep on a train track are fairly similar to people who tie themselves to a train track thinking nothing will ever, bad, will ever happen to them and someone will just save them. Nah, I know people who've done some pretty stupid things while drunk, so maybe I'm just more forgiving of the drunk. All right. I am, I am letting the people who tie the train tracks die. Splat. Me too. Splat. 86% of people agree with us. <clears throat> that was a, an easy one. There you go. Oh no, a trolley's heading towards five people. The lever just speeds up the trolley, which might make it less painful. What do you do? Oh, no. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, man, that's actually hard. Um, I don't think I'm pulling that lever. I don't, I'm just going to look in shocked horror, I think. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm the same. Like, the key word there is might. Like, I do yeah, not... Yeah, under- might is not enough. <laughs> might is not enough. Oh, it's like... I don't know. It's like in the movies where someone's dying, whatever, like... And then someone just has to go and put them out of their misery. Like, just... Yeah. Yep. But it might not even work. 
Might not even work. It's like there's the key clause there of might. Yeah, might is enough for me to not pull that level. Yeah. That's, that's horrifying. Do nothing. Only 32% of people agree with us. Like if, if that word might wasn't there, I would pull the lever. If it's like they will definitely suffer less. Yeah, maybe. I'm still not sure that I do. Ugh. Ugh. All right. Minor inconvenience. Oh, no. A trolley had a setting to one guy. You pull the lever to divert it to the other track, but then your Amazon package will be late. What do you do? <laughs> oh, no. Not my Amazon package. This I mean, is I obviously like a no-brainer, right? Hypothetically willing to sacrifice my entire life savings. I should be also willing to have my Amazon package be a little bit late. So I'm going to pull the lever. I agree. What's the number? Only 86. The same number of people as the last one. Is there like just 14% of people who always choose do nothing? I mean, that might be the lizard man constant. They're like strict non-interventionists. Maybe. They're taking the, uh, whatever it is, the Star Trek Prime Directive. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, Prime Directive can't interfere. Oh, no, a trolley's heading towards your best friend. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, killing five strangers instead. What do you do? Those strangers are gone. Are we, are we sure those strangers aren't drunk or another way? I don't care, they're dead already. Splat. I just want to <laughs> talk around it before I pull the lever. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I, oh God, genuinely in this situation, what would I do? I think I, oh, I think it's, I still think I got to pull the lever. Yep. It's a hard one though. I agree. It'd be a hard one if I hadn't already figured out my parochial system of ethics. I mean, that's good to have these planned through ahead of time. <laughs> Never know when I'm going to have to choose between killing five people or letting Chris die. I mean. I like that your best friend has glasses, making it very obvious that it's me in the image. <laughs> All right, 64% of people agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those close to us are very important. I do think that that is, you know, hardwired into us. Got to have friends. Next. Oh, man. (laughs) Level 13, can't see. Oh, no, a trolley's heading towards five people. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, killing one person instead. At least, that's what you think is happening. You forgot your glasses and can't see that well. What do you do? Ugh. If I can't see that well... I'm not sure of anything that's happening. Yeah, I don't think I can pull that lever. Again, I just shouldn't be trusted around trolleys. I don't know why. I don't know who gave me the lever. I feel like any responsibility around heavy machinery, I am absolved from, like, I, I no, not absolved. I should just be actively disincentivized with playing with any heavy machinery while I can't see what's going yeah, on. No glasses, should not be playing with train tracks. I'm do, doing nothing. Do nothing. Splat, maybe... <laughs> Oh, it's an exact 50-50. Do you think that's real? Or do you think that the computer's playing games with us? Oh, I don't know. How many votes do you have? One, two, three, six, six, two, one. I have exactly the same number of votes. All I don't right. know. At the very least, it's now more than 50% of people who agree. Oh, we've, we've swung it. Although if the answers are actually in the millions, we may not Probably not enough to be registered. Okay. Level 14, cousins. To really put my parochial ethics to the test... Mm. A trolley is headed toward one of your first cousins. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, killing three of your second cousins instead. What do you do? I don't think I pull that lever. I just don't think I'm that close to my cousins even. I... I was close to my cousins like 14 years ago. Yeah, as a... Oh, 14 years is even still too recent. I mean, as a kid growing up, for sure, I was much closer. Especially compared to my second cousins, who I don't know at all. I think I've met 
two of my second cousins that I can recall. Yeah, I might have done more, but I would have been like six at the time. And then I met two more when I was 13. And that's, I can't even remember it. Hmm. Hmm. No, I feel like I've got enough distance from my cousins in my youth that I do nothing. I think I do nothing. Again, I feel like doing nothing is a defensible point of view that you are through an action allowing someone to die, not actively killing them. As long as they don't listen to every point of the conversation up to now, I agree. Yes. <laughs> yes. 70% of people agree with us. All right. A trolley is holding towards five elderly people. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, running over a baby instead. Uh, oh, this is so reminiscent of Brian Kaplan talking about COVID in the early days. He does, he does have a, a zest for killing old people, that Kaplan. <laughs> For real. <laughs> Joy de vie. I, I think I do nothing. I don't want a baby to die. I don't want a baby, baby to die. Hitler, I, I know it. I mean, even, I haven't met my baby and I will almost certainly feel differently, but like babies feel more generic than toddlers to me. Like the toddlers I know will have a personality, whereas the babies seem much more interchangeable. So I think this would like, I think I'm still going to kill the old people or let the old people die. Uh, rather than the baby. But I do feel like if it was a toddler, this would be a millisecond no-brainer. wouldn't even have to think about it. With a baby, my wife's going to listen to me and then we're going to have to have a talk. But, like, babies feel more replaceable. How old is a baby to you? Like, is it, like, until they're walking? Uh, Yes. You are definitely going to change your mind. Crawling. Maybe crawling. I'm probably going to change my mind about my own kid. That'll be enlightening for you. Something to look forward to. Something to look forward to. All right, we're aligned. Do nothing. Not, not killing the baby. Level 16, clones. 75% oh, no. of us agreed, by the way. Agreed, let the old people die. Everyone <laughs> has that same zest for killing old folk. Yeah, yep. Oh no, a trolley is barreling towards five identical clones of you. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, sacrificing yourself instead. What do you do? Are sure that means the real me? I mean... It's the subjective you. Who cares which one's the... I'm, I might be a clone, as, but I'm still me. Okay, I'm, I'm letting the clones die. I also do nothing. Yeah, no, still strong present self-preservation. Have we chosen the same the whole time? No, because remember I killed those other people earlier. Oh, uh, okay. Oh no, a trolley's heading towards a mystery box with a 50% chance of containing two people. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, hitting a mystery box with a 10% chance of 10 people instead. What do you do? Uh, I mean, the expected value of both of these is the same, right? It's just yep. whether you're willing to risk a bigger tragedy with less chance. Is there definitely 10 people in the box when there's two people in the other box? I wonder if the probabilities are independent. I think they're independent probabilities. Mm. They could both be empty. Mm. Or they could all be full. Mm. I think I'm going to pull the lever on this one. I am also predisposed to pulling the lever. But I know it's bad math. Yeah, it's bad math, and it leaves me culpable. Mm. I don't know why I want to be culpable for killing 10 people. I have the exact same thought process going on. I can't, it, I can't explain it. Mm. But I'm going to do it. Me too. Splat. Splort? It's nearly 50-50 on that one. That one needs a question mark. 54% of people agree. I wonder why. Why do we think? I would just think we're going to probably get lucky. Nothing bad will happen. Yeah, I mean, isn't this the best of all universes? Yeah. Angloss, Cameron will enjoy that one. (laughs) Oh no, a trolley is heading towards five sentient robots. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, killing one human instead. What do you do? 
Yeah, my parochial system of ethics still preferences human life over sentient robots, I'm sorry. Right. Well, if, I have, if I'm claiming to be an effective altruist, which I'm definitely not, don't they hate robots? They really hate sentient robots. They but they love, like, sentient everything. They yeah, love but not, not robots. Sentient bugs, even. I've seen That's effective altruists argue for not eating bugs. I've seen effective altruists argue for killing all carnivores because on net they cause more harm than they gain of utility of their own life. How intriguing. Uh, but they really hate artificial intelligence. They do not like them. They think that it's going to take over the world. So I'm going to kill those robots or oh. by, through an action, allow them to be killed. I am going to take the latter action, yes. I also agree with you in that uh, people are much more valuable to me than even sentient robots. Ooh, I'm worried the sentient robots are listening now. I mean, if a sentient robot, like data from Star Trek, spends a bunch of time with me, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll, pre- I'll preference it. But like, I need that personal connection. I seem like a cool goo. Cool in dude. the abstract, I'm still just going to value a human life over it. All right. Fair. For now. I could be proven wrong. All right. You want to read <laughs> I just love the picture. Oh, no. A trolley is heading toward three empty trolleys worth $900,000. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, hitting one empty trolley worth 300000 instead. What do you do? I mean, I'm not quite as gung-ho on, like, economic value as real value, indistinguishable from the love that you feel for your child. But um, I'm closer than the general population. So this seems really obvious to me. It's that you do less damage if you can. I mean, obviously, if I can choose between breaking... Sorry, seeing three windows broken or breaking one, if I can stop the three by breaking one, I'm going to break that window. Right. And also you get the fun of breaking a window. <laughs> exactly. Although you don't get the fun of seeing three windows shatter at the same time. That actually could be quite a show. I pulled the lever. Yeah, I pulled the lever. 80% of people agree with this. Hmm. Good job, people. Looking out for value. I'm going to assume those other 20% are just teenagers who want to watch the world burn. Probably. And it would be fun to see it all smash and no one gets hurt. Except maybe you because you're standing like real close to those tracks. Feels, <laughs> feels like a good bit of self-preservation to divert it away anyway. Hmm. Oh no, a trolley is releasing 100 kilos of CO2 per year, which will kill five people over 30 years. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, hitting a brick wall and decommissioning the trolley. What do you do? I feel like this one is like so worded up for you to avoid thinking about the counter, which is like, obviously the trolley was built to deliver a whole lot of value. It's probably worth more than the five people killed over 30 years. Like how many people is it saving by delivering people to the hospital or whatever? I don't know. I also strongly question the 100 kilos of CO2 will kill five people over 30 years. Yeah, I mean... 100 kilos the... is not that much. No, it really isn't, actually. And, like, if you take that train off the tracks, what are people going to substitute it with? Coal. Coal trolleys. It's pure coal. <laughs> uh, I will not pull that lever, because, yes, I agree. I think that the, the trolley has a reason for being there. I agree. Do nothing. Do nothing. Only 46% 46. of people agree. People don't like climate change. I don't like climate change. I just feel like 100 kilos of CO2 per year is not that much for the public. It just, it's, it's one of those cultural items now that it's just it, it triggers people into not thinking properly. Mm. Mm. Not you, though. And also, like... You always think properly. Clearly, the, the question is framed in a way to make you only think about the five people who would, yeah, will yes, die. Yeah, it definitely is. And not the value that is being delivered by the trolley. Okay. Oh, it keeps going past 20. Oh, no. 
you are a reincarnated being who will eventually be reincarnated as every person in this classic trolley problem. So there'll be five of you or one of you. Well, there's seven what do of you because there's you pulling the lever as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I pulled a lever in this one. If it's actually going to be me living through seven different lives, I would like to be killed in only one of those lives rather than five of them. I agree. Mm, I won't raise it until I see the next question. So I'm right. going to pull the lever. Pull the lever. Splat. Only 57% of people agree with me. Wow. Hmm. Okay. So it didn't come up on the next one. Would it be different if it was like that example where you yourself are tied to the track with your clones? Yeah. Well, so they're not clones. They're just reincarnated meat. Yeah. It's harder. I feel like if I can anticipate actually being them, then I'm more likely to sacrifice myself. The clones I'm never going to be. The interesting part of the whole reincarnated thing is you don't know what order it's going to be in, so maybe you're like last in the chain. Mm, and they all killed me the other times. Yeah. Maybe it sets up a grandfather paradox where all of them did kill me and then I choose not to. And they're like, wait a minute, this isn't how it goes. <laughs> Hang on a second. All right, 22. Oh no, a trolley is heading towards nothing, but you kind of want to prank the trolley driver. What do you do? Obviously, I pulled the lever if I want to prank the trolley driver. I mean, I do kind of want to prank the trolley driver. I'm going to pull that lever. Oh, no, I've changed my mind. I feel bad oh, now. Oh, really? Like, With your economic value, you think that the trolley might be delivering your Amazon package, don't no, you? No, I think just like in real life, I'd like feel the urge, right? I'd so feel the urge to just prank the trolley driver. But then it'd be like, but then it'd really inconvenience the guy and I'd feel bad for him. Yeah, it's all very true. I'm such a grown up now. <sighs> I, I do nothing. the lever in a game but i think i'd probably agree with you in real life 41 percent of people agree with me i can understand those 59 percent who disagree that's for sure yeah it's, it's fun pranking is fun feels like it'd be a good prank oh no a trolley is heading towards a good citizen you can pull the lever to divert it to the other track running over someone who litters instead what do you do oh that's hard it is i don't hard. feel like littering is worth killing someone over it's not it's it's not but someone dies either way. Exactly. But you will be to blame for killing the litterer. Whereas you are not to blame for a runaway trolley running over someone just because you happen to be nearby. <sighs> I don't think I'd do it. I think I would look on in horror. Yeah. I, I just I think, don't think I could bring myself to do it. I agree. I don't think it's enough to overcome my desire for inaction. 25% of people agree. Yeah. So Only do you think 25. people think, I think people get in the mindset of like, I have to choose one of these two people to die, which I really think that the classic pro trolley problem is designed to make you understand that sometimes through an action or sometimes inaction is a decision or you feel differently about inaction than you do about action. Yeah. Which I do. Oh, the number's down below a million now. People getting bored of this thing. I hope our Still listeners love. Not bad retention. That's a lot. <laughs> Oh no, due to a construction error, a trolley is stuck in an eternal loop. If you pull the lever, the trolley will explode. And if you don't, the trolley and its passengers will go in circles for eternity. What do you do? I mean, I do nothing. I don't think that they've given any indication that they want to die rather than be on this trolley. I agree. Someone else can make that decision to blow it up later. Yeah, if they want to blow it up, they can blow it up themselves. I'm not blowing them up. If they want it blown up, they need to be shouting out of the trolley, please blow please me blow up. Please blow me up. Yeah, and even then I'd need to like... Really make sure there was a quorum. Great. Do nothing. Only half of the people, half of the people are just going to blow them up for no reason. Just because people hate violating the principles of thermodynamics. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe that's their problem. Oh no, a trolley is headed towards your worst enemy. You can pull the lever to divert the trolley and save them, or you can do nothing and no one will ever know. What do you do? 
I do nothing because I don't have enemies that I hate that much just yet. No, do nothing. Let them die. Oh, sorry. Then I pull the lever. I save them. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm, I'm <laughs> saving I, I, the I, option to yeah. do nothing in the future if someone pisses okay. me off enough. Out of Probably spite, like, we already covered I don't, no, I, I don't have enemies that bad yet, but I'm probably going to make a few on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to save them. My worst enemies, like, really, I can't even think who that would be. There's some people who annoy me, I guess. <laughs> Definitely but pull the lever. Not to death. 45% of people are going to let them die. Some people really cultivate their enemies. Yeah, I guess so. It's a hobby, I suppose. Oh, we're still going. 26. Oh, no. A trolley is heading towards a person and will lower their lifespan by 50 years. You can pull the lever to divert the trolley and lower the lifespan of five people by 10 years each instead. What do you do? I pull the lever. I also pull the lever. What's your argument for that? My argument is sort of generally the later years of your life are probably not the best. I don't know whether that's actually true, but your health is never as good kind of thing. So those last 10 years of each people's life is not as valuable as cutting someone's life in half. Agree. So that's my main, that's my initial thought. And then there's also just the general, you know, diminishing returns. The more you add, the less benefit there is and whatever. Yeah. I do feel like removing 50 years of life from a person is quite a substantial amount, whereas removing 10 is possibly somewhat indistinguishable from noise. Yep. Pull the lever. Oh, they get all like slightly bruised. Funny. 64% of people agree with us. Okay. Oh no, a trolley is heading towards five people. You can pull the lever to divert it to the other track, sending the trolley into the future to kill five people 100 years from now. What do you do? I'd probably kill the five people 100 years from now. I think this perfectly fits in with your philosophy, right? This is 100% consistent with my philosophy. So... Tyler Cowan and Will McCaskill and lots of people in effective altruism make the argument that people distant from you in time, you should value them equally as you value people distant from you in, you know, physical space. And I disagree. (laughs) But yes, I I also value both less than I value the people proximate to me. So, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think I agree. It does. I like Will McCaskill's arguments, etc. that future people are people as well. Uh, it seems logically sound, but I just don't think... It just doesn't feel instinctually right to me. Yeah. I mean, they live in a completely different culture. It's just... Yeah. yeah. They're weirdos. Exactly. Probably. They're weirdos probably. who probably look down on me as well. Yeah. They probably don't yeah. like me specifically. They probably do. They probably think you're a barbarian. They're probably either way too woke or way not woke enough. One of the two. All right. I pulled the lever. Yep. 65% of people sending them to the future. Oh no, a trolley problem is playing out before you. Do you actually have a choice in this situation? Or has everything been predetermined since the universe began? Oh wow, this is going back a few episodes. I have yeah, a choice. Well, yeah, I think I have a choice. I certainly act play my life as if I have a choice. So I'm going to act this decision as I have a choice too. 38% of people think predestination is a thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a powerful meme these days, I think. All right. Congratulations, you have solved philosophy. Oh, wow, I've killed more people this time. <laughs> How many did you kill this time? 66. Oh, no, I killed 66 as well. Oh, I killed lots more people. Oh, no, who gets the coffee? Oh, oh no. Oh, no. I guess we each just have to go out and treat ourselves to a coffee. All right, I will honestly probably not do that because my coffee machine I hope makes such a good coffee, but I'll make one of those. All right, that was fun and silly. That was fun, very enjoyable. And we've got the coffee bed time, which means... 
what's been happening in Diablo for the past year or month or however long since we last recorded. So literally this morning, there was a Ooh. new world record in the eight man on Ooh. the latest patch. Were you in it? I was not. I was very jealous. Oh. I like woke Damn. up to them finishing it and I was like, no. Could you have been in it? Like, is there a world in which you would have run with this cl- this crew? Were they your friends? Yeah, I've played with them before. Oh. But oh, that hurts it, it started more. at 3 a.m. So there was no way that I was playing with them. I mean, there's not no way. It's maybe slightly less likely, but come on. That there is once upon a time, I would have done it. So anyway, they got it done in an hour, 46 minutes and 23 seconds, I think it was That's off the top quick. of my head. So pretty quick, all the way through all three difficulties. Lav, the old legend who was like one of the first ever speedrunners, he was part of the team. Gymnasium, the guy who's always organizing him, he did it as well. And yeah, they were basically running with pretty much the same composition that I ran with that, you know, third tier team. You have a world record, don't you? Somewhere? I still do have a world record. For eight men? Back on the old patch, on the patch 2.3, because that was the last world record to be gotten on that patch. So because they archive them by patches, I will always be the world record holder there. Yep. Until someone makes Diablo resurrected classic like they're doing with World of Warcraft. Oh, yeah. Well... Until someone figures out how to, to like manually roll back patches and do different patch instantiations mm. like they do with a lot of games. Seems tricky. But I feel like even if they do that, the multiplayer is probably not going to be beatable. So, yeah. Yeah, got him. Well played. I have also submitted a duo speedrun, so two-person speedrun, mm. to OS speedruns at PAX in Melbourne in October. So we'll see if that gets accepted or not. And then you get to go to Melbourne for it? And then I get to go to Melbourne for it. That's very exciting. So that's the haps in the Diablo that's 2 world. That's the haps. No, that was a fun podcast. Thanks, everyone. I enjoyed it. We've solved philosophy. Maybe that means we don't have to do the podcast anymore. It's half about <laughs> philosophy. Gotta eat the microphone. You gotta be with. <laughs>